0: I think the federal government has a really special place that we can play in this and provide those skill sets come to the air force come to the army come to the DoD. learn how to program code humility in the digital age i don't know the answer someone discover the answer with me or a computer do it for me
1: welcome to the convergence the army's mad scientist podcast i'm matt sanisbert of the combat capabilities development commands armament center within the army futures command And I'm joined by Luke Shabro, Deputy Director of Mad Scientist. Mad Scientist is a U.S. Army initiative that continually explores the future of warfare, challenges assumptions, and collaborates with academia, industry, and government. You can connect with us through Twitter, at ArmyMadSci, or subscribe to the blog, the Mad Scientist Laboratory, at madsciblog.tradoc.army.mil. On today's episode, we'll be talking to Michael Kanan, Director of Operations for US Air Force and MIT Artificial Intelligence, and previously co-chair of Artificial Intelligence for the United States Air Force. Michael was featured in Forbes 30 Under 30 and will be talking to us about changes in youth leadership as well as how AI can transform the military. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Department of Defense, Department of the Army, Army Futures Command, or Training and Doctrine Command. Let's get started.
2: Um, so, you know, first question, Michael, you have, you have a really interesting background and, and you've excelled in this field. What really made you interested in AI in the first place? Well, first off, thanks for having me here to begin with.
0: And I'm also appreciative of no Air Force versus Army digs or anything happening. <laughs> Not yet, right? Not yet. So let's go back in time, sort of, to 2011. Uh, I just graduated uh, intelligence school for the Air Force, and it's down in Texas. And uh, my first assignment was the National Air and Space Intelligence Center. It's a building with 4,000 people, some of the brightest minds you've ever met, and some of the coolest technologies. At the time, the Air Force uh, had, had developed this new sensor. It was this thing called a hyperspectral imager. So you and I see in three color bands a mantis shrimp sees in like eight or nine color bands kind of a philosophical question what does a mantis shrimp see that we're not but this thing can see in hundreds of color bands across the spectrum uh and and it and it flew on our drones in afghanistan and it could detect certain materials or certain events that we wanted to pay attention to Uh, at that point in time in 2011 ai was coming out of one of its winters over the course of ai it's gone through a few what they call ai winters uh, and that's largely dependent on maybe we didn't have the right computing power we didn't have the right data uh, and you know just recently math is still really evolving right now all three of those things came together in about 2011. And uh, Dr. Fei Fei Lee out of Stanford had launched the ImageNet competition. So she goes out there, she gets millions of pictures of cats, and people label these cats. They say, These are lots of pictures of cats. And we start teaching that, we, the esoteric we, right? Uh, they start teaching that to the machine. And for the first time, the ImageNet competition outperformed the human. I think at that point in time, there should have been a critical recognition that this AI thing, we're just gonna use right machine learning, which will transform our world, get away from the conversation about artificial general intelligence and everything else. Uh, There is no technology for that, might never happen. But it's gonna change our lives and it does change our lives and it works, right? All of a sudden you start seeing uh, as frustrating as Siri and Alexa are, right? They're developing, they're getting better over time, but all three of those things came together. So full circle, we were running this mission. This is, we're in Dayton, Ohio, running live missions in Afghanistan, right? 20 of us with this new fangled kind of gadget, and we're trying to figure out how that thing works. And, and really, at that point in time, while you were watching this in the commercial and public sphere, we were looking at it saying, well, why aren't we using that? Certainly, that could save more lives. Um, and it was a point of frustration, it was a point of frustration, out of you know this place of 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 goodness. These young airmen, a lot of young people, trying to do the right thing by many of our soldiers in Afghanistan at that point in time. So we kind of went on, uh, you know, I'd say a charge. And about in 2011, the same kind of 10 or 15 people you've heard about, Lieutenant General Shanahan, all sorts of of, of these of these, you know, just terrific leaders, we all start talking about this AI thing. And I think over the course of time in the past uh, eight or nine years, now we're getting to that space. But the reason I got interested is it was a point of frustration. And in addition to that, I think AI is really multidisciplinary. I'm not a computer scientist. The barriers to education have never been lower. You can teach yourself these kinds of things. And it's what you do with AI that's the real question. But make no mistake, I think the future rock stars in the AI sphere are most certainly sociologists and psychologists. I think that, obviously, philosophers. I think philosophy is going to come back into full force about the human experience with these new technologies. I think that, you know, industrial organizational psychologists. I think, um, obviously, mathematicians and programmers. But it's a multidisciplinary field. And to talk about AI, you need to talk about some things about numbers, language, how your brain works, and, and it just stretches across all fields. So I think everyone should be kind of
2: interested in it and it's cool, right? And to pull that thread, really, I think that's such a great point. We're going to need this wide diversity of skills and talent, um, but we're not the only ones fighting for it, right? The Air Force, the DOD, um, we're dealing with Silicon Valley who really wants to, you know, get all that talent so they can have the next great startup. We're dealing with uh, foreign governments who need that talent to develop their own, not only civilian programs, but weapon programs and things like that. So, you know, when, when you look at this, you, you have an enormous challenge. That you're working on right now. How do you, how do you consider trying to keep and get that talent and keep it? Oh, I have such
0: exciting news to share. Uh, the passage of this 2020 National Defense Authorization Act, that we call the NDA, uh, for for our, you know overuse of acronyms. Uh, that is reaching the president's desk tomorrow. So we're also dating this podcast right to <laughs> to where we're at right now. Uh, that'll be on the president's desk tomorrow. In it is are key provisions from the Armed Forces Digital Advantage Act. Rewind back in time one more time. Late 2000, in about August of 2018, we had this crazy idea. And and there's a popular mechanics article about this. Completely true. I woke up in the middle of the night and it was another one of those points of frustration where we had a normal conversation in the Pentagon, which goes something like this. Where do we find the talent to keep up with the adversaries? Do we just buy a bunch? What do we do about it? And what is AI? It's programming languages. Why don't we treat programming languages as the equivalents to foreign language aptitude and proficiency? We have a long history of doing this in the DoD. In fact, if you bring that skill set into the DoD we cherish it we try to cultivate it the best that we can some of the coolest jobs in the world are in federal government with language well why aren't we doing that with computer languages so we had this hypothesis that a significant portion of our air force and just people in general know how to code right for probably you and i i really liked for for anyone listening out there um the theme of this show says AI transforming the Air Force and relative and friends, youth and leadership,
2: which I'm like, oh is that a dig because I'm getting older? Um, as, as, we, as, as, as all three of us yeah. in here are uh, I, I used to be the youthful and when you hit 34 you start wondering something, something happens at 30 right or so so I'm starting to
0: hear but and feel. Um, at the same point in time, the United States Air Force and this number is pretty similar across the board in the other services. 88% millennials, right? Hashtag adults under forty. Um, but but in reality, you remember we used to use MySpace. Yeah. You know HTML, right? People nowadays, they know scratch. They grow up learning these coding languages. They have they have a they have a propensity to pick them up. So we said, I bet the United States Air Force has a bunch of coders. There's four hundred and fifty thousand of us, around six hundred thousand if you count total force. So we released that article saying, we're going to do that. In addition to that, we we released a self-assessment. We said to the Air Force, hey, do you know how to code? 3,000 airmen raised their hand and said, I know how to code. 3,000, which actually sticks to kind of commercial numbers as well. So here's the reality. One year later, starting to starting hopefully on Friday when the president signs it, that will be a law to treat computer languages as the equivalents to foreign languages across the Department of Defense. And that's from this wonderful groundswell movement of terrific leaders and people who really bought into this idea just consistent engagement for the past year and you can make a difference at the highest level. So what do I believe when it comes to the talent piece? I believe we need to offer contemporary education opportunities. I think we should tap our force for the skill sets they naturally bring in or the interests they have at home, whether you're a Bitcoin miner or, or or you play Minecraft or whatever it looks like, or you're an ethical hacker or something like that. I think we should tap that. And coding, it's just as important for the dental clinic and or a finance officer as it is for you know a pilot or something else. And in fact, we had a number of pilots say, well, I know how to program too. So we really want to tap into that. I think that we can offer those things. We can offer education opportunities, and we have an obligation to do that at this point in time. This year, there will be 500,000 open software jobs in the United States, 50,000 what we call, you know, air quotes, qualified graduates. That's it. In just a few short years, that number will be one million. I think the federal government has a really special place that we can play in this and provide those skill sets. Come to the Air Force. Come to the Army. Come to the DoD. Learn how to program code. Then go out and be successful in this world. I think that kind of contemporary relationship would also bridge the gaps we're seeing too.
2: It's really great insights, and I think one of the things we think about one one of the reasons I really wanted to bring you on is um, I'm name dropping in that you were in you know Forbes 30 under 30, which is really just a huge achievement. Do you think there's a challenge? You know, you have a staff over 30,000, um, and and all things considering government, we're still in that younger age bracket. Do you think there's challenges in in supervising that many people and and being at that age group, or do you think it's an enabler? So the first, so so grateful to Air Force leadership.
0: One thing that we really do believe in is this idea of teaming the techniques of the old. With the ideas of the new and at these inflection points kind of this digital world we're entering and and the services recognition that we need to do something about it look experience does not is not dictated by age any longer you can't fall back and say well because i've done this for so long i know about ai so for the air force we are so grateful with this idea of unleashing airmen in fact when this when i had previously spoken about national defense authorization act I sent an email to the vice chief. His response is, this is why we unleash airmen. This is why we put smart captains and smart majors and lieutenants in charge of things around here nowadays. So it most certainly is a leadership challenge. I've also been at the Pentagon for three and a half years. So just by osmosis, you kind of <laughs> know how things uh, things work. Again, that experience is not dictated by, by age necessarily. But I don't think supervision is the right word for what we're talking about here. We released the Air Force artificial intelligence strategy. You can find it on the White House side and website and everything else. And in it we made principles just things to operate under we said you know drive down technological barriers to entry use as a service models procure commercially we said treat data as a strategic asset making it a requirement to generate training quality data we said uh, democratize access to ai solutions which means Why aren't our airmen allowed to go on GitHub and pick up things that can solve their everyday life? I promise. So right now we're all talking about multi-domain operations, JADC2 being the kind of new coin term uh, that that we're using, you know, a finance algorithm to, you know, a support vector algorithm or something. It's the same mathematical technique that you use for command and control, right? It's the exact same stuff. It will inform the way we do business and on the hard stuff just as much as informs on the support side of things, uh, which are equally as hard. Then we said we want to cultivate digital talent. We want to provide airmen these opportunities, and we want to do this all transparently, very openly. So we published the, the Air Force AI strategy on Classified. So why we did it in principles was it's not supervision it's not telling you how to get there it's providing an environment to get there that's kind of the flip in the digital age in the industrial age you always had to be very prescriptive in nature because you either did things compared to your competitors better faster or cheaper that's this is why the assembly line you know came about and that and that kind of has grown all the way until now but in the digital age It's about illuminating strategies you didn't know you had. So for us right now, it's not about supervising them. It's finally providing them the tools and the environments to discover their own solutions safely and securely, of course. But I think what you can see for the Air Force in in living up to this mantra and and doing the things and living up to the words we espouse, uh, you see all these new authorities to operate. I mean, tactical choices today like conversations about Docker or Kubernetes or MongoDB or TensorFlow and MATLAB. And a lot of people go, why are you talking about that? Well, the tech tool choices today are the strategic decisions tomorrow, right? It's a turning point. So we just want to create that
2: environment for them uh, and go from there. I think that's such a great and important distinction that, that changes from the industrial age to the digital age. And, and you really hit the nail on the head in terms of when you're talking about principles, I think it's not a matter of prescribing and saying, this is a how-to, this is exactly how you're going to do it. What we're talking about is really building culture. You're building culture because you gave those airmen and and the civilians supporting um, an idea and a vision of where you want to go, but you didn't say, this is exactly how we're going to do it. You opened it up, and that that opens a culture of innovation. So I thought that's really... really Humility in the digital age
0: is really important. The first question you should ask before kind of saying, this is my strategy, this is my end state, you should say, well, tell me about what I have. Someone the other day said, well, what does an airman in 2030 look like? I don't know. I I have no idea. But I certainly know that it looks like a choose-your-own-adventure book. They they look like whatever they need to be to get the job done, which we always do you get the job done just
2: provide them the environment to do it you know we've already talked about this is an enormous task for what, what you're working on um and you, you've got a lot of weight behind this right now but let's assume everything develops what we want over the next 15 years we gain the ai capabilities that we deem necessary and and have to have what does ai in the air force look like then how, how does it transform that force Ooh, what do we look like in the future?
0: Um, we look like the '85 Bears, the 2019 Women's World Cup team. Did anyone want to play them? No, neither team. Right? They're dominant. They were so good at their craft that I, I don't think any team walked in saying, "Really looking forward to you know this Sunday or you know this World Cup tournament right now." I, I think we look like that. We look incredibly well practiced. We look like a tactical, operational, and strategic deterrent. We look like, do not go to war with us. Do not try to compel us into this state. Also, grand strategy comes back on full display. Do not compel us with your models of, of how you view society. Do not compel us with your you know economics because we are so good that you're out. We don't want to fight a war. I think the Air Force or military of the future says, I obviously don't want to fight in war. Well, this is the way that we get there. So we have to practice with it. You know, a lot of people say, why would the, you know, United States Air Force use AI or something? Well, what if we don't? You know, we're, we're trusted by our populace to to defend the values that we have, to defend human dignity at home and abroad. That's the point. So providing them that uh, is is is. The piece to all this but i think in the future it looks like one of those teams also a super accountable force i i hope that in the future if we get to a state where, hey, nobody predicted you know Franz Ferdinand and the Black Hand to start a world war, right? We, we don't know how those things come about. But what I do want is that we are incredibly accountable to the American populace and they trust how we do business, too, and AI does
1: inform that as well. So the super dominant force is probably the best case scenario, the most optimistic outlook. What stops us from getting there? What, what challenges do we have? What's going to stand in our way to get to that point?
0: I hope not ourselves. Sometimes I, we're our own worst enemy uh, on a number of topics. And it's hard, right? So we're moving into a new world. We have to take risk. The United States Air Force and Department of Defense is measured by execution of the monies we are provided because we are accountable to the taxpayer. But in, when when you're moving to new space, most assuredly, you're going to screw things up. You're not going to do things well. There will be waste. There will be bad choices. There will be mistakes. So creating an environment where we can smartly use what we're afforded, the trust that we have to practice in this space is probably most important. So here's an example. Let's say, let's let's imagine we're C-SPAN stars for a moment, right? We've seen this happen before. So we have our poster board behind us and we put up an AI requirement. In the essence of developing artificial intelligence or a machine learning algorithm, what are you doing there? Well, you're both using it to allow the algorithm to change, to measure different data sets, to then retrain the model to do things faster, smarter, or more cheaply, right? That's the whole point of AI. So if I put up that requirement, is that, and and this is how money works and big congressionally and everything, is that research and development or is that operations? If you ask someone, I bet someone would say, well, that's a research and development definition. Another person would say, well, you're using it to reinform the algorithm. That's an operations thing. So what does AI money look like? I think is a critical question that is a national conversation as well for the entirety of the federal government. So I think that kind of stands in our way, and this is like a highly bureaucratic answer. I I completely understand. But this is what doesn't allow us to create the environment we were just talking about. Um, and And then also I think that it goes back to that teaming, you know, the ideas of the new with the techniques of the old. I think I think characteristically, you'd mentioned just a few ago why it's so important to have people from different experiences, different walks of life. I think the proverbial boardroom has to look different as, as we move here. And we've done this story before, right? Let's talk about the Navy because they're not in the room right now. But, you know, Rickenbacker, he created the nuke Navy as captain or as an O3 and then took it all the way through you know, Admiral. So, so what does that look like for us? But creating the environment is contingent upon having an appreciation for the process, which then
2: drives the change in 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 the money, right? So, looking at this, you know, we talked earlier about multi-domain operations. MDO is huge right now, um, and the whole point of MDO is we can't do it alone. The Army can't do it alone. The Air Force can't do it alone. Neither can the Navy. We have to span across all, and really, cyber is pervasive through all of those. So as you're working on this and you're, you're trying to develop all these initiatives, how do you integrate with all these other DOD initiatives and services um, and, and in the future when these, when these systems start to integrate?
0: Well, Lieutenant General Shanahan just had an article release on Wired where he kind of talks about some of these and practicing our way through and, and sharing and why we would do what we do. Um, one, of the, one of the pillars of the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center Is what we call the Joint Common Foundation. So these are really, these are nerd conversations. They're not fun to generally have because how do computers see the world? They see it through ones and zeros and rows and columns, right? That's all we're talking about here. So in order to share, we quite often say, well, we got to share with sister services. You know, we quite often cite the National Defense Strategy as a crutch because we got to be pragmatic about these conversations. So how do we share? We talk about the technical specifications of what we're going to use. This is a huge conversation. Are we going to be using, you know, TensorFlow to develop these, or are we going to use something else? Are we using MongoDB, or are we not? They're 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 the in the weeds conversations at the highest levels, and I think ultimately then we're empowered to develop what we do, there are, there are mission sets in the Army that the Air Force isn't going to do, right? That's, that's why sister services exist. We have different core, core missions that are just different than other ones. But what we have to do is make sure that no matter what you're doing, our systems communicate. It's just that conversation's got to be in the weeds and just talk tech specs. And then whatever you develop, well, then it can share if it's meant to share. Once upon a time, the sibling rivalry in the services, it's celebrated. There's a reason it happens. It goes back to that industrial model of better, faster, cheaper. So when we would develop something, the army would say, Well, we're gonna fill the other void, the other niche with this, and then our foundation, we you know, puzzle piece this all together and we're better overall. But in the digital age and digital technologies, computers. Do all three of those things at once. So sharing kind of changes. I think the one thing holding us back is that at a certain point, you gotta snap the chalks. You just gotta call it like it is. These are the technical specifications we're going to use. We're going to hold people accountable for being on them, and then our computers can communicate. None of this also will happen without cloud. Let's just call it like it is. This will not happen without cloud. This will not happen without a a stable budget. This will not happen without everyone's recognition. This technology is going to kind of change things, hopefully for the better in our case think it can aid us but those conversations would be better to have
2: i I think that's really interesting there was an analogy um i was at a war game um and there was a a, an older um tired soldier that said, uh, you know, at at a certain point in the uh, 80s and 90s, you know, the army was using like four different word processors. And finally, they had to say, okay, we are all using Microsoft Word. This is it. Um, And so what what do we have to do in terms of data and the tools that we use? As you said before, the tech tools that we use in the future, we have to, you know, eventually the DOD directive has to come down and says, everybody's going to align to this, you know, and folks like General Shanahan are going to be leading that conversation. And in this, in the same vein of this conversation, what you'll
0: often hear is that commercial leads the, leads the world in making these things. Well, then why aren't we operating it to commercial standards and APIs and everything else? You can certainly harden those things. We will need to, uh, maybe a little bit differently than other people. But then again, if Blue Cross Blue Shield gets hacked, it's a serious problem, right? Just as much as it's a serious problem if we do, just maybe a little differently in in, in character. But the nature of the issues is absolutely the same. So, so I would love to be in a space where he said, "Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to." Do it how the rest of the world develops it. Also, I think this helps with commercial partners, non-traditional vendors. It also drives down the amount of risk our, our defense industrial enterprise takes with us. I mean, it's what we kind of do is, a lot of people say risk averse. Well, we're more risk blind. We take proverbial risk, throw it over a fence, then we celebrate a story about an airman who duct tapes something together. Why do they have to do that? So, so what we want to do is also be able to practice with these things. So it's that conversation on what are the specifications and are we able to work our way through this to inform us, drive down risk as well, drive down costs as well, and then go from
1: there. So you had talked earlier about uh, the changing paradigm from the industrial to what we're in now, the digital age, and how, how you, you have to provide the environment uh, for the force to be empowered. The next generations that are coming after that, what would you say to them, because you said you know, 80% or so are millennials now, what would you say to the future recruits and the future airmen to get them the, the buy into your vision and, and why they should be a part of this?
0: So first, you hear a lot of people talk about the frozen middle. We are the frozen middle, right? You too are the frozen middle, right? It, it, I mean, that's serious. And generations are always different. You know, I don't want to have kind of the okay boomer moment, but that ain't helping the cause right now by, you know, saying why some generation is worse than another generation. And Gen Zers are very different from their experiences than millennials. And there are things that are good. And there are things that, you know, we all have flaws. Uh, I think that, that right now, I'm always thinking about, well, who's the next person? Who's who's the next? I can t- I can name, I mean, 15 captains and staff sergeants off the top of my head right now who are awesome. And by the way, we're all getting older. So it's time to find somebody else to take our spots. Because eventually, we will be the ones out of touch with reality. And, and I hope we just come to a recognition that we are out of touch, right? Humility in the digital age, I don't know the answer, Someone discover the answer with me, or a computer do it for me, uh, is really, really important. So it's about now saying, okay, well, my time has passed. Who's next? And and that comes faster than you might think. And it's okay. It's it, that's fine.
1: Now, I think that's a really great point. And I like the humility in the digital age part. I think that's something we don't hear. Uh, we're we're loath to kind of uh, actually confess to ourselves sometimes. Um, so let's let's move on here. Let's transition to these uh, quick fire questions that we put out. And they, I say quick fire, you. take as much time as you want um, but they're a little more direct what technology or trend keeps you up at night
0: two right now so artificial intelligence has this inherent duality to it there is no technique out there that you, you that's being developed that i can't use to infringe on somebody else whether that's their privacy or whether that's ultimately you know to to use it forcefully there's period and uh, so let's talk about, you know, some of the best advances right now. In the long history of human society, uh, we develop our best minds on games. Games that last the test of time are really important to human culture, right? So what am I talking about? Chess, Go, all these games. And and right now, the biggest advance and most for... Throughout history, some of the biggest advances in AI tend to happen on games. Biggest advances right now on Dota and StarCraft, right? So this reinforcement learning, um, multiple actors, literally the fog of war, the whole shot, right? So for AI to work with other AIs, I mean, this is... These are leaps and bounds steps in advancing the state of of craft and what the capabilities are. Well, let's talk about StarCraft then. So you mean to tell me that the world is developing artificial intelligence algorithms that play war games on an open gaming platform? Okay. Okay. I mean war is certainly much more complex than a game of StarCraft, but when it comes to movement of materiel or troops or characterizing an adversary from the very tactical capabilities perspective 96 hours out, the day of, you know, D-Day, it, these algorithms certainly inform that. So so that that makes me uneasy, I, but it also means that we have to have a really really transparent conversation about it. Second one obviously, deepfake technology. I talked about the duality. Well, deepfakes, you know, that technique also is the leading algorithm for discovering cancer in people. It also makes fake news, right? So OpenAI, you know, I commend everything that they've done with their most recent, with their progressive release of the GPT-2 algorithm. For those who don't know, you should go to talktotransformer.com. It'll blow your mind. Um, but basically, this algorithm can predict your next the next word. Right? Machine learning that predicts the next word trained on, you know, millions of parameters and millions of books and and the internet itself. And it's sort of surprising just how capable it is. And it doesn't know it's making meaning in these words, right? The sentence the computer doesn't know, but also how interesting maybe language is, you know, simpler than we might have thought in some ways. So there's like an informed piece of this, but it generates fake news also. And entering that world not only from what we read. But what we hear, these are things that I think we all need to pay attention to right now because it it will affect any career field. It will affect any private citizen or public servant alike.
2: I think I think that's an important note because you know one of the things we've looked at recently is this idea that, you know, OK, we think about fake news and initially maybe you think of it as not much more than propaganda, which has always existed. But now we're talking especially on a multimedia delivery. So you're getting it in, on all these uh, kind of assaults on your sense. Um so we're we're getting it to where we're seeing it, we're hearing it, um and how long how long before we're really feeling it? So I think that's incredibly important. And and to take dual use,
1: just one more step, I mean um the democratization of it, we we've now have uh, we're at the point where even light bulbs are now a vector into your home network and into your privacy, and, and doorbells that used to alert you to threat are now a threat vector into your house.
0: These are serious concerns. It gets back to what you're talking about. I mean, these really like in the weeds kind of, kind, kind of conversations we have to have because it will infiltrate your life in very bizarre ways. And I really like the point that you make. This is nothing new. Leaders throughout history and, and peoples throughout history have lied trying to compel people with, you know, things that we call propaganda. This is not new. We've dealt with it before. It's all about discovering truth. Well, now it's just going to be on a whole grander scale. But, but I think that's such a critical point. We've done this. This is nothing new. And, and those with the best narratives win the day. My, my biggest concern is that this loss of truth, right? When we start using facts to fit our narratives, that's a real thing happening in the world right now. And now with these deep fake technologies and fake news, that could be even worse where the facts will be contrived to always fit Somebody's personal narrative in an echo chamber. We
1: we really have to have this conversation, Michael. What's something about you that most people don't know that you're willing to share on the podcast? <laughs> the the, the, the qualifier word. there. Yeah,
0: that's it. That's that's an important uh, important note. Okay, I watch a lot. I I watch a lot of Ninety Day Fiance. If it, is, if it is Sunday night, I am telling you what I'm watching. And the worst part is now they have all these different versions of it. So it's like four hours on Sunday night that you're watching 90 Day Fiancé. And by the way, if you don't think AI can, like, you want to be compelled to learn about AI, watch these poor humans try to translate on their translator apps with these people. Like, you just want to help them out. Like, make this better so that they can, you know, love each other and figure out if they should be together in those 90 days.
1: Uh, I watch a lot of 90 day fiance yeah that's that's great all right so so finally this will be our last question to you what's your favorite movie that's a tough question um everyone seems to say that that seems to be the, you know, i'll, the be, I'll tough, be honest when, when
0: you guys you know brought this up i was like the one question i was you know keep it conversational the one i thought about was like well what is my favorite movie um two all right any given sunday mm-hmm. if you if you are not digging that pacino speech at the end I I can't help you, right? Game of um, inches. Game of inches, right? And there's a lot to be said about that about life in general. And then uh, Catch Me If You Can, right? Oh, That's great. a great flick. It's one of those movies, like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Like, if it's on TV, you're just watching it. Or like, Vegas Vacation's on TV. I'm like, I, I guess I'm just watching this apparently, you know? So So I think Catch Me
2: If You Can, I find myself just... I guess I'm watching this now. That is fantastic. Uh, I'm glad you didn't give us a cliche answer like uh, I Robot or anything. We we need a better AI movie. The best AI movie though is Her. Yes, yeah. yes, I agree wholeheartedly. I,
1: I don't want to get into I don't want to get into a movie debate, but have you seen Ex Machina?
0: That's also a very very good AI movie. Slightly either, so. second to her, but that's yeah. So I, I think I think I think we're due for a good AI movie and not this anthropomorphizing that like we only have Hollywood to thank. Hopefully someone out there's making a good one. What else would you like to say to our audience? I just think that that everyone should talk about this. There is a time over let's call it like it is. There's a time where we were not talking about AI and I think we lost a critical high ground in that moment. I, I mean, just a couple weeks ago, there was a computer vision standards conference in China. What how did we allow that to happen? There was a there is an AI accountability type of conference happening in Russia. I mean they view society and they view human dignities and rights very differently than us. If we don't seize the high ground, an authoritarian regime will and right now, I think we're just better off talking about it. And you can learn about it. It's, it's fun. It's interesting. There's always something going on. It's, it's literally hard to keep up with. So where can people follow you at? So we, uh, the Mill Twitter space, I think, only grows more and more. We talked about it earlier. It's also you know, kind of the scourge of society, but it's okay. Uh, so at Michael J. Kanan is one. I, I, I think LinkedIn. I find myself getting more news on LinkedIn. Also, a strange echo chamber. I think everyone in the world is talking about AI, but it's only what's shown to me on LinkedIn.
2: Uh, you can check me out on LinkedIn as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming in today. I thought it was a great conversation, and uh, this was extremely enlightening. So thank you. Thanks, guys.
1: Thanks for listening to The Convergence. We'd like to thank our guest, Michael Kanan, Director of Operations for U.S. Air Force and MIT Artificial Intelligence. You can connect with Mad Scientist through Twitter, at ArmyMadSci, and don't forget to subscribe to our blog, The Mad Scientist Laboratory, at madsciblog.tradoc.army.mil. And be sure to subscribe to The Convergence wherever you get your podcasts.